you know, but often when people people will say, well, what are the tactics I should use to market my agency? You know, I, I could ask, well, what do you sell to your clients? So maybe it's <laughs> video production, maybe it's social media, maybe it's content marketing, maybe it's something else. And I'd say, well, are you doing that to market yourself? It's a great starting often, point, right? <laughs> often the answer is no. And I said, you know, if you do PPC for clients, but you don't do PPC for yourself, why would clients trust you? Ground Up, Episode 11. Carl Sakis knew he could help agency owners. He'd seen their challenges over and over again. They start an agency because they love the work, whether it's design, development, PR, strategy. But then they get in over their heads with the day-to-day tasks of actually running an agency. Hiring, firing, buying computer paper, negotiating with vendors, sales. They find themselves further from the work that got them into it in the first place. They become unhappy. As a result, so do their clients, and eventually, so does the team. In 2013, Sekis asked his boss to cut him to part-time so he could build a business to solve for these challenges. Sekis and Company is now his full-time gig, and Carl has worked with hundreds of agencies across 30 countries on solving these problems. We sat down recently to talk about the challenges agencies are facing and how to get themselves through them. It's awesome to have you on, Carl, and you have a, uh, a really generous offer for our listeners today. Uh, did you want to quickly just uh, mention the book and, and, and uh, yeah, your, your, your little giveaway? My second book is called Made to Lead, A Pocket Guide to Managing Marketing and Creative Teams. And I created this because I found that people running agencies often were what I would call reluctant managers. That is, they had to manage people as the head of their agency or head of a team, but often they didn't enjoy it. They didn't have great role models. Maybe they had some role models about what not to do based on bad bosses in the past. And I decided to put my experience together from advising agency owners all over the world and put that into a pocket guide. It is literally a pocket guide. It fits in a pocket. Most people read it in 20 to 30 minutes. And Made to Lead is designed so that if you're leading a team, you can make your job easier. If you aspire to lead a team in the future, it'll give you tips to get there. And if you're currently an employee and you have a bad boss, you can maybe slip an anonymous copy under their door. That's great. Yeah. And so what we're going to do, uh, Carl's been generous enough to to offer to sign a couple of copies. So what we'll do is uh, we'll try to keep it as simple as possible. I was trying to think of like m- more creative ways to do this, but the, I want to keep this as simple as possible. Just tweet out your favorite quote or knowledge nugget from Carl in this episode and just tweet it with a link to the episode, wherever you're listening to it. could be iTunes, could be SoundCloud, uh, Stitcher, w- what have you. Uh, so your favorite quote of Carl's throughout this episode and a link to the episode and we'll just randomly select uh, two folks. And yeah, Carl is nice enough to to send you a signed copy of his book. So that's that's great. Thanks a lot, Carl. Absolutely. I, I will send it to you wherever you are in the world. Wow. There you go. Uh, so, so yeah, let's kick it off. And, and, and obviously, as, as listeners can tell right away, just from, you know, the subject matter of your book, super knowledgeable, super passionate about helping agencies. So I want to start with like a really basic question. What is it that makes you so passionate about helping agencies? In my experience, a lot of agency owners started their agency because they love the work. Maybe it was design or development or PR or strategy or writing. And they found themselves in over their head doing things they didn't enjoy. 
you know, when you're running an agency, you're not doing design or writing anymore. Now you're hiring people, you're firing people, you're doing client service, you're doing sales, you're negotiating with vendors, you're buying printer paper or making sure someone bought the printer paper. And so I, I saw that people were in over their heads and I realized I could help them out. I've worked in digital marketing since high school. I learned HTML as a high school student, started building websites. This is back in the days of dial-up and Internet Explorer 3. Careful, you're going to date uh, yourself, Carl. <laughs> I, maybe, maybe. I, you know, I come from a business background. I'm a fourth-generation entrepreneur. I grew up helping in my family's small business. One of my grandfathers was a business professor and consultant for 40-some years. And so I realized there was this opportunity to put – together my experience to help make life easier for people running agencies and also make working at an agency for their employees less of a roller coaster. So I put that all together in 2013, and since then I've helped several hundred agencies in 30 countries. That's amazing. What, what were you doing just prior? Like, Do you remember what the aha moment was that inspired you to, to launch Sakis and Company in 2013? Well, I, I've always had the entrepreneurial bug. And in 2013, I realized, hmm, there, there's this opportunity. Uh, and I actually went to my then boss and proposed that I work part-time for her, uh, you know, for a portion of the week to then give me time to launch the business. She said yes uh, and ended up working with her for a few months. And then uh, as I built up the practice and then started, um, you know, went 100% full-time from there. Nice. You gave yourself some runway. Who, who were, how did you net your first few customers? And, and was there the, any, I guess, uh, was there any specific like geographic or niche that you, that you were working with early on? You know, I originally thought that all of my clients would be within a four or five hour driving radius of where I live in Raleigh, North Carolina in, in the U.S. And that, that was the initial idea. But one of the things I started doing from day one was blogging putting posts out at what's now the sakisandcompany.com website, and people found me. You know, my, my approach to content marketing is answer questions that people have or that agency owners, you know, may be thinking about. Uh, and so that, that's been my policy all along. You know, so I have at this point over 250 articles plus other guest posts around the Internet as well. And, uh, you know, people will say, I saw your article about team structure. You know, we're, we're doing some of those, but I'm, I'm not sure what to do next. Can you help me figure that out based on my situation? So that's typically how, how initial people found me through, through organic search and, uh, and also referrals from people who are happy uh, or, or who knew me through, through their network. That's interesting. So when, do you remember when it, your first client or, or, or prospect meeting that was outside of your uh, prospective four or five hour drive radius? Do you remember when that was? Yeah, I you know, a few months in, I started working with a coaching client in New Hampshire. But we actually did not meet until we'd worked together for several more months. Uh, he happened to be visiting North Carolina for a business trip. We met up in person. And that's been one of the the things that that's helped in my business that I do almost everything remotely. You know, I will do on-sites with clients. Uh, you know, when we first connected, I was on my way home from a, an on-site in Philadelphia. Yep. But with the remote approach, uh, ultimately, people can get the you know get great results without having to invest in travel, uh, and I'm able to help 
more people than if I were on a plane all the time. Right. And the turnaround is quicker too, right? Yeah. Um, so when was it when you, so 2013, you were, you were kind of balancing between uh, a part-time gig as you got your business off the ground. When was it when you sort of uh, removed that, uh, we'll call it insurance policy of the part-time gig? Do you remember when you went full-time? Yeah. Or how so long that, that, that was, took? That uh, was three, three or four months. Uh, and, you know, at, at that point, uh, you know, my, my previous boss was like, okay, she's ready to go on, on her own. And, uh, you know, I had built things up. So, uh, you know, it, it, it didn't feel, it didn't feel so bad. Uh, right. But, um, uh, you know, one of the key things in building your business is minimizing client concentration problems, you know, in the sense that if you get all of your revenue from one client, that's really risky. So at that point, I had several clients, so it wasn't as much of a problem that that one client was winding down. Uh, you know, the ideal is in any kind of client relationship, especially for agencies, but true other cases, uh, is to avoid situations where something is small for you but big for them. That is, you know, maybe you've got a client who's doing a $2,000 a month retainer. And you're thinking, well, this is my smallest retainer. I'd rather be working with clients that are spending five to ten thousand dollars. But your client might be thinking, two thousand dollars, that's all I've got. Like this better pay off. And that's a risky situation where it's small for you and big for them. It can lead to some situations where they're putting a lot of pressure on you to produce when you're like, This is this is my smallest account. <laughs> sure. Yeah. And I think a lot of agencies go through that too. Um, so you're, you're coming up on, on year five ish, right? Uh, yeah. And, yep. uh, so like, what are your, uh, typical engagements in terms of like, are you, do you work with, with folks? Is it like 12 months contracts? Is it more short term? Uh, like how do you like these days, like what, what is your, what is your typical engagement look like? It's a mix. So if someone is at a major turning point in their agency, I'll do an agency roadmap project, which typically runs three to four months. That's where I gather the data, dive in, make recommendations, and convert that strategy into a strategy implementation plan, and then support them in getting that done. Uh, so that that's typically a few months, and oftentimes they'll do follow-on coaching from there. For other clients, I may start with a coaching program. So that's where people need accountability, advice, and perspective on what's going on. Kind of a sounding board, someone that they can ask questions to without worrying about, you know, asking those same questions from one of their employees kind of thing, uh, or, or perhaps a, a local competitor. And in that case, I recommend new clients plan on four to 12 months. But, you know, I have some coaching clients who've been doing coaching for a few years. The, nice. the key is they, they need to be getting value from it. For sure. If they're not getting value from it, they, they can stop any time. Yeah, it's good to have that flexibility. Uh, and, and when we first connected, you had mentioned like uh, sort of like a 30,000-foot view, three main areas and in, in, in themes that uh, sort of – maybe not plague is the right word, but uh, a lot of agencies that you find yourself focusing on, one being agency structure – uh, the next being positioning and marketing your your agency, like your own agency, sort of the mm -hmm. cobbler's kids mentality, uh, and 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 the last one being leadership and management. So starting with the structure, um, now growing pains happen at all sizes, but yes. in in terms of common themes and and what you see, 
in regards to agencies, when do problems regarding structure and uh, evolving roles and that kind of thing, like when do those typically start? When do you commonly see that? If you're growing more than 30% a year, you're probably going to have some growing pains. When it comes to specific breakpoints, obviously that's going to vary by agency. But for instance, around the 8 to 12 headcount mark, that's when it's time to hire a full-time project manager. As you head toward 15 to 20 people, you likely want to split out account management as its own thing. Uh, and then, you know, when you're getting to the 50 mark, you're going to have C-level people overseeing different different teams. And, and at some point along the way, you're also going to need to migrate from everyone being a subject matter expert who's also doing account management, also doing project management, to an approach where people are more specialized. Sometimes agencies have functional teams. You know, they have their organic search department, their paid search department, their conversion optimization department that kind of thing, uh, that can lead to some silos. Uh, you know, there's an increasingly popular trend toward doing a pod structure where they're basically self-contained teams. You've got a leader, you've got different subject matter experts, you've got a PM, you've got an account manager. Uh, ultimately, though, as you grow, a key thing is the structure that worked for you a year ago probably is not working now, and it certainly isn't going to work another year from now. And in most cases, you're probably coming in after the fact, right? The, the, this has been a problem already. And so the, the, they're kind of working backwards to solve, I would imagine. Usually. So, yeah. I, you know, it, I like working with people that are early. You know, so say when it comes to figuring out account management, it's a lot easier to start thinking about that when they've got 10 people and start taking action at 15. It's harder to go backwards. For instance, I, I've got a client in the Midwest right now with 25 employees, they didn't have any kind of account management structure. And so here we're trying to work backwards and figure out how to integrate it. And, and I think that's one of the challenges in any situation, which is, you know, you, you've got the blog post version of things, but everyone's unique situation is going to be different. You know, it's not a case of let's add account management early on. It's like, no, how do we make it work? How are we going to pay for it? How, what is the reporting structure going to look like? How do we convey this to clients? How do we convey this internally? What do we pay them? All these things. So it's a lot easier to do things early. And the the way I, you know, my description for that, and really this is the theme to all of my work, if you plan for the expected, you'll have time to improvise the unexpected. That's a good, that's a good theme to, to sort of follow. Uh, and and you've you've hit on this a few times already, but typically what you'll see in smaller to mid-sized agencies is you'll, or, or what I've seen at least is you'll get a lot of middle management uh, type talent that wears a lot of hats. I think you already mentioned that, and it can be almost like a badge of honor, like that you do so many things and uh, you, you know you're kind of in and out of different areas of the of the company and you wear a lot of hats and you're working long hours. Does that hurt or help? I guess it depends on the agency, it depends on the person. It is worth considering that the bigger an agency gets, the more likely people need to be specialists rather than generalists. And you know, if you are the owner, you're probably still going to be something of a generalist. But I, I had a situation with a client in the southeastern U.S. where at the time they had about 20 people, they had a plan heading toward 35, and I was helping them helping them get there. 
And I did executive assessments of the executive team, but I also did assessments of their account management and project management team. They had planned ahead. They had those team members. And what I found was that for some of the team members, they resented that they were no longer generalists. They had wanted back, you know, back when there were 10 employees and they needed to be doing a mix of things, they missed being generalists. And ultimately, the, you know, the unfortunate situation was at that point, and as the agency would keep growing, the agency needed specialists, you know, for instance, just doing project management all day long, not doing PM plus copywriting. And ultimately, in, in that case, my, my advice was that need was not going to change. Let's help those employees find new jobs. They're going to be happier and the agency is going to have the people they need. Right. And in and, and, and situations where, where agencies do have generalists, how do they, you know, because obviously there's different success factors. If you're in account management, if you're in project management, if you're a subject matter expert, you're, you know, you're being measured on different things. So how does, how does measuring success factors works work or have you seen it work if, if they aren't, if there aren't specialists, if it's, if, if people have more general roles, how are they? Have you seen that? Have you ever seen that work where, uh, where basically somebody that has a general role is, is being measured in a way that's scalable? It's definitely harder. Uh, you know, in PR, the typical model is an account manager is a project manager and an account manager and a subject matter expert. Uh, you know, and, and that that's typically the, the practice there. But, you know, when it comes to measuring, l- let's look at what each of those roles really is about. Account management is about keeping clients happy and typically upselling them more work. You know, they are the voice of the client within within the agency. When it comes to project management, project managers or, you know, when they're wearing a PM hat, their job is to get the work done as smoothly and profitably as possible. And then the subject matter experts, their job is to practice their craft all day long. So maybe it's copywriting, maybe it's strategy, maybe it's design or development. And the challenge that people run into and agencies run into, the if someone is doing account management and project management, the AM side is saying, I want to keep clients happy. Let me give them free stuff. The PM side is saying, no, no free stuff. Absolutely not. And the thing is, the reality is somewhere in the middle, right? You know, for instance, work that is free, it's okay if it is the way I call it strategically free. It just can't be secretly free. That is, if you call it out to say, you know, normally a rush rate would apply for that turnaround, but we had some extra capacity this week. We're going to waive the rush fee for you and and take care of it this time. If you call it out, that that's okay. But if you're doing free work that's secretly free, that is only going to hurt you later. Sure. Um, and you mentioned this before about like certain breakpoints uh, uh, and and when you should hire project management or add more resources and, and headcount. So how do you, uh, that, that's got to be different depending on the agency and, and for every client, it's, it's certainly different, but you've mentioned that there's, there's common breakpoints. How do you approach that? So when you're hired by an agency and, and you're coming in and you're doing your evaluation, how do you, how do you determine, um, uh, you know, which hires need to be made or like where, what, what's, what's more, I guess, around some of those breakpoints that you mentioned earlier? Well, you know, PM typically is in the eight to 12 mark eight to 12 full-time employees. You could do it sooner if your agency is primarily based on freelancers. You know, if your agency is a couple full-time people, two or three full-time people, and then freelance for everything else, 
in that case, the PM might be your second or third hire. So, what would a project uh, what would project management look like? Uh, like in terms of like role, are they are they are they working with the client? Um, are they just you know sort of focused on you know the deliverables and working with subject matter experts? I guess like by by definition, what would that what would that role look like? At that early stage, at that eight to twelve mark or fewer, if if it's a freelance based agency, they are the PM is going to be client facing. You know, as the agency adds account managers or people who serve in an, an AM type role, typically the PMs will be less client facing. They're not. They're not. You know, they're not a secret. They're not hidden in a back room somewhere. But as the agency specializes the roles further, typically the PM will be more of a background person than a, you know, front of house person. Right. In account management. So. Um, and, and then you mentioned like account management, uh, you know, kind of fleshing out that team. Like, uh, what was the headcount around you said that, like, what was a break point that you see that that is successful? My guideline is roughly 15 to 20 people. Right. And the, you know, whether it's leaning toward 15 versus 20, some of that comes down to can one person easily represent a client with a variety of services, so if you have services that are kind of siloed, you need someone building bridges across those silos. Now, of course, the, the silos are, are their own problem, um, but you know that that's the case. Whereas if you've got clients who tend to use just one service rather than multiple services, you may not need account management as soon. But you know, I, I think if you aren't looking for cross-sell and upsell opportunities, you're you're missing out on a way to grow your agency without having to focus all of your efforts on new clients when you've got existing clients, if they're happy and they like working with you and you have services that they'd benefit from, well, you should be looking for opportunities there. So those early account management hires, have you seen that that, that hire is going to look different than when you're hiring an account manager at 50 people? Because early on, yeah. you, you probably don't you don't have like a, a subject matter expert in copywriting or maybe conversion optimization if you're still a smaller agency, correct? So is it kind of dependent on that account manager to also be proficient in copywriting and, and that kind of thing? Or can you fill in some subject matter experts as you go? Because that one seems a little more tricky to me, a little more fluid, the subject matter experts. Yeah, de definitely. Well, there's actually a story I share about in the book that helps illustrate what an account manager, if you've got a full-time account manager or if someone is spending a portion of their time as as an AM, uh, which was I went to a restaurant. I had a team celebration dinner for a nonprofit I'm involved with. Uh, we'd hit some goals, and so we took the team out to, to celebrate. And we had two servers taking care of the table. It was a big table. And later on in the evening, I noticed one of the restaurant employees walking around, stopping in to say hello at different tables, and uh, you know, figured, okay, was checking in on how things were going. Well, ultimately, uh, you know, she came by our table. We were chatting. Uh, we actually had an extra seat. We invited her to sit down and uh, you know, kept chatting a bit more. And one of our team members, uh, who was a bit, a bit cantankerous, I guess, uh, you know, he had the, this whole idea of, uh, the, how specialty was chocolate chess pie. And he really wanted an ice cream sundae. And we were like, well, you should get the pie because that's their specialty. Right. And he's like, eh, I, want, I want a sundae. Well, Nancy, the manager said, uh, hang on just a moment. She left and we kept on our conversation. 
And, you know, maybe 10 minutes later, she came back with a custom dessert. It was a slice of pie inside an ice cream sundae. (laughs) He was delighted. And you know what? We probably got charged for two desserts. We probably got charged for the pie and the sundae. So, you know, they they didn't lose any money on this. Uh, But this was an example of what I call warmth and competence, which comes from a book called The Human Brand by Chris Malone and Susan Fisk. The idea is that if someone is looking for those opportunities to do a little something special, something extra, you leave people delighted. You leave people satisfied as customers or clients. And the thing there is that Nancy had time to walk around the room and look for those opportunities. Surely she didn't go over our table expecting to come up with this custom dessert. But our servers didn't have time for that. You know, the servers, if we're thinking those as the the subject matter experts slash project managers, their job is to fulfill the orders that are already there. You know, maybe do a little bit of upselling here and there, but they certainly can't sit down and chat. Uh, And if they went to the kitchen and said, I want you to come up with this custom dessert, they probably wouldn't have the authority to to get the the, the kitchen staff to, to do that. So ultimately, account management is about looking for those opportunities to make clients thrilled about working with you and finding ways to use that to grow the relationship. Well, great. Now it's 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 not even noon yet, and now I want pie and an ice cream sundae. <laughs> <laughs> and and the other the other thing about that experience, as I mentioned in Made to Lead, uh, in one of the section intros there, I had initially assumed from that experience, from Nancy's ownership of the situation, that she was one of the owners of the restaurant. Uh, and I I went online to look to, to send her an email afterwards to thank her for that. It turned out she was not one of the owners. She, she was a longtime employee, but she was not one of the partners. Yet she had adopted this ownership mindset. And I found this newsletter where they recognized her before. Like this wasn't the only time she was going out of her way to help people out. And she talked about seeing herself as the hostess at a large party. And her job is to do whatever it takes to leave uh, have customers leave satisfied with the experience that's a great story um, thank you yeah um and i'm sure there's plenty more like that too in the book uh another plug so uh the the next sort of like uh pillar that we mentioned earlier um around agency structure and then uh agency marketing and then leadership management so on marketing yes. this is like the, you know, the, the old, the old uh, saying, shoemaker's kids, cobbler's kids, mm-hmm. uh, going shoeless. What are, how, I guess maybe like a more general question is how are, if at all, are agencies marketing themselves? Usually not very well. I, I have a new coaching client starting and her agency does not have a website. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And the thing, I mean, that's a little extreme. Usually I'll find websites where the copyright date is, you know, a year or two old. Maybe they haven't updated their blog in a few months. You look at their social media profiles, they haven't updated something in, you know, in a month. Uh, not having a website is extreme. I mean, I, I think this is the first client I've worked with in that in that situation. They must have a really strong referral network, right? I, I mean, <laughs> she does. Yeah, yeah. It, well, and and I think the challenge becomes, you know, as we think about agency marketing. Referrals are great. Word of mouth is great. It means that people are saying good things about you, but it's hard to build a consistent growth structure if you're reliant only on referrals because you don't always know when the referral is going to come in. I mean, you could do some things to solicit referrals, you know, send a reminder 
Uh, you know, if you have a referral program, you can include occasional reminders about that to to past clients, that kind of thing. But ultimately, it's hard to grow an agency in a consistent way if you're 100% reliant on referrals. And oftentimes, agency owners will reach out to me saying, you know, I've I've relied on my referral network, but it's starting to dry up. I'm not getting the same referrals from my network that I used to. What should I do? And you know, ultimately, of course, you, at a core, you need to have your target personas. You need to identify who are you trying to reach. That'll make everything else a lot easier. You know, but often when people people will say, "Well, what are the tactics I should use to market my agency?" You know, I, I could ask, "Well, what do you sell to your clients?" So maybe it's <laughs> video production, maybe it's social media, maybe it's content marketing, maybe it's something else. And I'd say, "Well." Are you doing that to market yourself? It's a great starting point, right? (laughs) Often the answer is no. And I said, you know, if you do PPC for clients, but you don't do PPC for yourself, why would clients trust you? If if you're not practicing what you preach, if you're not eating your own dog food, as they say in in software development. Right. You can be your own case study. You can write about your experiences in it, and that, that helps attract more clients. Yeah, I mean, if you say you're an inbound agency but aren't doing inbound marketing yourself, why would they hire you? Yeah, it's it's an interesting issue. So how do uh, how do you how do you get agencies over that hump? Like, how do you because it's it's not as easy, right, as just going and starting blogging. You need resources. You need to start mm-hmm. talking about non billable work, right? Because um, you know, bill this is something you and I talked about when we first chatted and you mentioned like there can almost be you know you need to have a balance between billable and non billable. Um right. so how do you how do you sell people on that? Like how do you I mean I guess it's pretty easy if their referral network's drying up. Um but I guess like where do you start? Where, how do you start with that? As Stephen Covey said, begin with the end in mind. And this is my approach to all consulting projects and and coaching engagements. Knowing where the owner of the agency wants to go, I can work backwards from there. One of the big things is whether people want to sell in the future or if they want to run the agency, you know, if not forever, then at least the foreseeable future. That's a big difference. So, for instance, if their goal is to get a million-dollar payday or for uh, the client in Belgium, his goal is sell for €3 million Euro by t- 2021. Uh, that's a very specific goal. And so we can actually work backwards from there about what kind of revenue growth would he need, what would be the staffing implications, how many units of retainers and projects does he need to be delivering Mm -hmm. to get there kind of thing. Uh, On the other hand, if someone is focused more on the lifestyle side rather than the high growth or equity side, uh, in that case, what does their ideal day look like? What is their ideal future like? For instance, are they doing any client work Oftentimes, people want to do client strategy work, but not the day-to-day client service. Other times, people don't want to do any strategy work at all. They want to be doing biz dev. They want to be doing other things to build partnerships and and ultimately business building activities. So it really depends on where people want to go. But I can ultimately illustrate, you know, for instance, uh, you know, if you want to sell for three million. And you're not doing the marketing activities we've discussed, you're not going to get there, or at least certainly not in the timeline you want. Right, right. That's a yeah. That's that's a great start with the output and 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 determine what inputs are needed to to get there. Um, 
so marketing is obviously uh, m- marketing is is kind of its own in, in its own silo. But then there's also positioning, which mm-hmm. is also an issue. You could be doing marketing very well, but your positioning is is awful, uh, especially like in a reseller ecosystem where there's you know tons of hundreds, if not thousands, if not tens of thousands, other agencies that are sort of competing for that mindshare. How are how do how do the great agencies, I guess, position themselves differently? Um, in an e- in a really crowded ecosystem, I think you mentioned there's like forty five thousand agencies just in the U S. alone. Correct. So positioning is is massive, right? So, um, I guess like how are the how how often do you come across uh, agencies that are well positioned? Uh, and then a follow up to that is how are the great agencies uh, positioning themselves and different differentiating themselves differently? Here's a keyword that usually means not well positioned, and that is full service. <laughs> if you call yourself a full service agency, that probably means you're not focusing enough. It also is often not true. You know, for instance, say people say full service, and that that includes doing some degree of development work, but then you look at the listing of the team, and there are no developers on staff. Eh. <laughs> I don't think you're a full service agency if you claim to do the service and you know don't actually have it on on staff. Uh, and for sure, there's nothing wrong with outsourcing services. I, I, I just I just question that. And and I think your more sophisticated clients and prospective clients are going to be questioning that too. I, a few years ago, a friend asked me to review a sales proposal from an agency, uh, and you know I figured I'd, I'd I'd help him out. Uh, one of the agencies he considered in the in the proposal, uh, I mean, it was a terrible proposal. It was like 20 pages long. Only one page was about the prospective client. It was 19 pages of you know me 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 about the agency. Uh, in one of the one of the sections, this was years ago. They said we can develop it in PHP or .NET or Cold Fusion. I, I can't believe Cold Fusion was even on the list. It's like is that still still around? Apparently so. But the other thing was I, I looked at their their website, I looked at their hiring section, and one of the things was that they were hiring project managers. And in their PM hiring listing, they said uh, no prior digital experience required. That's wow. a recipe for disaster. You do not want to be the client assigned to someone who's never done digital marketing work before. <laughs> That's a great point. Yeah, yeah. So I, I mean, ultimately, uh, you know, okay. So full, full service, you know, bad, bad keyword. I, and the exception for that, of course, is you've got an agency that has thousands of employees, and you've got people providing a range of services and all that. Okay, then, then yes, you you can be full service. Uh, but you know, especially as you mentioned in a, a reseller environment, you want to make it so that. Your ideal target client, your target buyer persona, if they come across you, they feel like they're at home. You're the obvious choice, right? Yeah. You don't have to be the only agency out there doing what you do, but when the right person finds you, they need to assume that, that you are. Or maybe you're one of, you know, two or three, and then they go with whichever agency feels best to them. 
and that comes down to know your persona and do thought leadership marketing to reach them and marketing automation to stay in front of them. I, I've had people reach out to me saying, you know, I read your article about X, Y, Z, and it felt like you wrote that just for me. That's the, that's perfect, right? That's the end result. Yeah. Yeah. And, and when you specialize and, and you know what, I, for some of the people listening, you're probably thinking, well, if I specialize, that's going to reduce my potential market size. Yes. Yes, it will. I was but just going to say, so, is, is there a fear of shrinking your, your potential audience? I, I mean, there, yeah, I mean, there, there can be, uh, you know, if, if you're, for instance, specializing in a particular industry only in a particular small geographic market, that, that's not going to work. Uh, but for instance, one of my clients does marketing for adventure travel businesses. Their clients are all over. So that, you know, uh, having a broad client base works. Uh, another client focuses on lawn and landscape company marketing. Their clients are all over. So if, if you only want clients in a particular geographic area, then you probably will have to be a generalist agency, but that's going to limit things. But, you know, ultimately when you're a specialist, so many things get, get easier. Your marketing is easier because you're writing just for the people you're trying to attract, not everyone. You know, the world does not need another top 10 Pinterest tips article. <laughs> so you're writing just for the people you're trying to reach. Uh, you know, for instance, if you specialize in e-commerce, you're only writing about e-commerce. You know, you're not writing about developing leads to get into a long-term funnel necessarily. You know, in, in your case, people can buy immediately. You know, you're not writing for a lawyer who might take months to convince someone to become a client, uh, you know, kind of kind of thing. Your marketing is easier. Your sales is easier because when clients say, have you worked with a company like mine, an organization like mine? The answer is yes. You know, if someone said, have you have you worked with digital agencies before? Yeah, 300 of them. <laughs> You know, and, and we can get even more specific about the, the types of agencies within that. So marketing is easier. Sales is easier. Project management is easier. You're not reinventing the wheel every time. I, I had a friend who was a PM at a web development and online marketing agency. And one of their clients, you know, liked the agency. And the client said, you know, we really like the marketing and development work you do for us. So because of that, we'd like you to do the interior decorating of our new office. <laughs> Not the agency's specialty at all. It happened to be something my friend as the PM had an interest in personally, but I mean, that was almost an accident. And so that was how she found herself at the upholstery store looking at fabric swatches for the chairs <laughs> in the client's new office. Wow. Was, that a, was that a profitable project for the agency? I, she didn't really get into details on that, but for sure that wasn't going to go in their portfolio. They're not going to find someone walking off the street saying, we'd like you to do our interior decorating as well. Uh, oh, oh, and a website while you're at it <laughs> and, and a marketing retainer too. Uh, so, you know, PM is easier because you, you're doing the same type of thing over and over, not reinventing the wheel. Client service is easier. You know, for instance, if you know that the client needs to produce certain content at certain points, you can manage their expectations from the kickoff call and every point after that, rather than realizing, uh-oh, 
uh, you need to write, you know, 100 pages of, of something. Uh, we need it tomorrow. You know, that doesn't go well. Yeah, right. Um, and, and, and regarding regarding positioning, I think one of the other fears, and, and you had mentioned one already, which is shrinking your audience by focusing, you know, on something more niche. I think one of the fears around being full service is, well, if I just offer graphic design, or if I just offer, you know, we're, we're the best, you know, conversion agency or content, uh, we're going to get we're going to get passed over for all these full service guys every single time because they're going to do the conversion stuff, but then they're also going to do everything else for them, social media. And, and, and clients really want somebody to just keep everything all under one roof. Um, so do you, do you ever come across that fear? Because I think when it comes to positioning, you can position yourself toward a specific niche and you can also position yourself in a specific uh, field, right? Like we are the best conversion mm-hmm. agency. Like in the past, I worked with an agency um, out of the UK that only did conversion rate optimization. And everyone mm-hmm. on their staff was like the, the most knowledgeable person you had ever talked to regarding funnel optimization and everything that came out of their mouth, you were writing it down. It was like it, it, school was always in session and it was brilliant. They didn't do anything else. They didn't talk to you about social media. They didn't talk to you about anything else. And I thought it was brilliant um, but I feel like a lot of agencies are afraid to position themselves more niche in that way. Um, so do you ever, uh, do you ever come across that fear, uh, of shrinking your audience in that regard? And is that a, a good way to also position your agency to be different? I definitely come across that fear. I, I think ultimately it comes down to how unique is the work you're doing. Typically I'll see people specialize by particular functional area in really technical areas. So for instance, maybe you are doing Salesforce integration. You could probably be a generalist Salesforce integration firm. Another case would be mobile app development. You know, mobile app development firms tend not to specialize by industry because being good at making mobile apps rather than just saying you're good at making mobile apps is unique enough. On the other hand, if you were saying, you know, we do graphic design for anyone, we do social media for anyone, okay, that's not unique enough from a technical perspective. And to the point about agencies, that, that fear around clients wanting to consolidate, it depends on the size of your client. If you're working with small businesses, they probably want one client, uh, you know, sort of the one call does it all kind of thing. On the other hand, if you're working with larger corporations, I, I have a friend who's a marketing manager for a particular credit card at a very large financial services firm. She has like eight agencies doing different specialist things. Wow. That's a lot so to keep like, track of on the books. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but you know, their model is we want the best people in the world in each area. So, you know, it, a lot of things are it depends. It depends on the people you're trying to reach. Do they want the one call does it all or do they want the specialist specialist? goes back to your yeah, your target personas. And, and going back to the example that I had just used, the organization I was working for would never have hired a full service agency because mm. the when it would come up, if there was areas of need, so if it was, you know, pr- you know pricing help. Um, you know, we, we don't know how to position our pricing and we need, uh, you know, help in, in our entire conversion funnel. 
um, you know, from sign up to activation, all these things, it was always find the best person you can that is focused on this. It was never find an agency that does this. It was always find the agency that only does this. Um, so yeah, it, it, and but I imagine there's plenty of other organizations that have the exact opposite mindset as well. But I mean, if you know your target persona well enough, you know whether which camp they fall in, and I'm sure, and I'm, and I'm sure that helps. You need to find people that match up with what you want and 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 what they want. You know, in my case, I work with independently owned agencies, and I've worked with some holding company agencies as well. But I like that the person I'm talking to is either the sole owner of their agency or they're one of maybe two to three owners. In fact, in my sales qualification process, if there are more than three partners, that's usually a red flag for me. In one case, there was an agency in Florida where there were four partners officially. So this guy called me in uh, or, or said he needed help, and yes, they needed help. His two cousins founded it. So the, the two brothers founded it. They brought him, their cousin, in. There was a fourth person, and then there was a fifth person who was the girlfriend of one of the owners, and she wasn't technically an owner, but they treated her as an owner in decision-making. That was a mess. Um, and I actually had them do a more in-depth pre-intake that I normally do in, in my sales process, uh, assessing do they each think they need help? And it turned out they were not on the same page about that. You know, if you've got a case where there's more than one partner, uh, you know, maybe one person wants to grow really fast and sell. The other person wants to keep things running. I can help people on either goal. I, I can't help you on both goals of the same company. Yeah, I would imagine that makes your job a, a hell of a lot harder. <laughs> I, well, you know, as, a, as a, some of my clients refer to me as their agency therapist, you know, I'm, I'm not actually a therapist, but, you know, when there are multiple situations, I, I worked with a client where the the two owners were married to each other. And part of my process was to get a sense of, like, do they have a good relationship? Um, and in their case, they did. But I've had other cases where a client uh, was married to their business partner or or perhaps their their spouse was involved in the business and their spouse was an incompetent employee. That's a really awkward firing Oof. conversation. Yeah. <laughs> I'll see you at home. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It it can work sometimes. Really? But it, yeah, well if you know, it if um you know, both people in the couple are really level-headed and things are almost just kind of boring. I mean, I've had some cases where where clients mentioned that, you know, the, they hire new employees and uh, I mean, usually it works if, if the couple has different last names. Uh, where like a few months later, someone will be like, wait a minute, are so-and-so are and so-and-so married? <laughs> but if that's what's <laughs> happening, you're probably fine. If everyone knows you're married and your marriage is not going well, that's not a good situation. Sounds like an entirely different podcast episode. I, I, <laughs> I think so. I, 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 I am not a I am not a marriage counselor. <laughs> um, you you opened with with something around uh, sort of your your last pillar in the the common themes that you see in terms of uh, agencies that hire you, which is around leadership management. You you opened with the agency founder whose job has evolved quite a bit since they founded it. So they were you know, probably really good in, in a strategy role, really good at doing the work. 
But then something interesting happens. They are really good at doing the strategy work. They are really good at doing the work. So they generate business. They make hires. They get support underneath them. And then the job changes quite a bit, right? And you mentioned that sometimes uh, founders will find themselves in a role that all of a sudden they don't enjoy anymore. um, And they're doing things that they don't necessarily enjoy. So how do you help folks through that transition? Start by identifying what does their ideal work look like? You know, if they could wave a magic wand a year from now and five years from now, what does that look like? So that that helps because then we can figure out how to close the gap. For instance, if they are the primary client contact for all of their clients, which is common, right? You you sold the deal and clients figured they'd work with you kind of thing and you feel like you need to to keep doing that. When you've got five team members, that's that's kind of normal. Uh, in situations where uh, working with a client that has almost 50 team members, he's still the primary contact for a lot of his big clients. Yikes. Yeah, it, it it's not going well. Like he's he's pretty stressed out. Because well, then the account managers have no power, right? Because it's like, well, just just put so and so on the phone. Well, and that's a that's a case. I actually did an onsite uh, focused on two particular questions he was trying to figure out, and it turned out the cause of the problems for both of those problems was him. He wasn't delegating. He wasn't trusting his team. It, when you've got just a few people at your agency, there are limits to what you can delegate. The bigger you get, the more you should be delegating. But if you don't feel comfortable delegating, maybe you don't feel like you can trust your team. You need to work through that. And so some of the things I'll help clients do is sort out what are the the baby steps to delegating. Or, you know what, if you've got a team that you don't trust for good reasons, well, you need to replace those people. The, the model I use is a concept called new rope versus wet twine when it comes to employee quality. It comes from my experience doing pioneering in Boy Scouts. That's building, you know, log and, and rope structures. You know, the ideal for building a structure is new rope. You know, it's strong. You can rely on it. It's, you know, it, it, you can trust it. What you don't want to do is build a really large structure with wet twine. Wet twine is weak. It's going to break. You're not going to rely on it. Same thing with employees. Those new rope employees are the employees that bring you, you know, they're ultimately they're bringing you solutions, not problems. They take initiative. They're really productive. They don't require lots of excess oversight. Right. That's new rope. On the other hand, wet twine are the employees that tend to bring you lots of drama. They tend to bring you problems rather than solutions. They require a ton of oversight. I, one case, I had a, an agency that had hired this guy a uh, few months earlier. He was so unproductive, they put the guy's desk outside the CEO's office. The CEO could look out the door and see, is he doing his job? That guy uh, smartly had quit shortly before the consulting engagement because otherwise I would have recommended that not continue. Yeah, that's like a that's like a, a schoolhouse punishment right there. You know, sit yeah. next to the teacher's desk. <laughs> yeah, you know, so you should be able to treat your employees as adults. If you feel you can't, I think it's worth sorting out: is there a good reason for that, or do you need to change? Right. Right. This is yeah. That was great. Um, so I guess like, what are some of the, how, how do you help 
what are, I guess, do, do you have a, a specific like success story of somebody that you helped through that transition? Because I could imagine too, there's also like, say somebody's, uh, you know, acting CEO, right? But they hate the job, but they love the, you know, they founded the company. The, the CEO title is obviously, uh, you know, sort of the, the, the top of the heap. So is there ever any sort of resistance to sort of give that control away to do something that they maybe enjoy to do more? Um, but you know, the, the sort of, uh, the, everything that comes along with being CEO, um, is, is hard to let go of for a founder. Do you, do you is that, is that ever like a, an, an issue or something that you've run into? It it can be. I mean, if ultimately your personal identity is intermeshed with being a CEO, that that can be a challenge. Although it is worth considering that if you were the CEO of a larger larger company, you are not doing everything. You know, if you're the the captain of the ship, you are not in the boiler room. Uh, you know, working on things. I, you know, at least not on a not on a day to day basis. Uh, so ultimately, a lot of that goes to begin with the end in mind. You know, if you want to reach your long-term goals, you're going to have to change things. And I, you know, and I think that's the challenge of being a consultant, being a coach. It's the tr- same is true for agencies. You can give your best advice, but people have to be willing to follow it, and you can't make people follow it. That sounds like a great uh, overview of of sort of the the service that you're offering these days. So this this was super fun. Loved loved having you on. Uh you I mean everything that you've shared uh like I I can't wait to dig into the book because um you, you just uh, super knowledgeable on the on the subject but also super passionate and that really comes through. Um so really enjoyed this conversation. Uh so you're you're going to be approaching year 5. Like you still having fun? Like what uh what is the what is the future of of uh Sakis and company look like? Yeah, well, I, I, I am having fun. I, you know, as I think about my work, as I touched on earlier, I'm making life easier for agency owners, but also having worked at agencies as an employee, you know, there's, there are those ups and downs kind of, kind of situation. And so the work I'm doing, ultimately getting hired by the owners, the work is making things more stable, making agencies a more stable place to work for their employees. And, and ultimately, you know, if, if you extrapolate from the clients I've worked with, uh, you know, thousands of employees, and if you include my speaking as well, speaking engagements and other work, uh, you know, ultimately making life easier for tens of thousands of people. And that, that feels pretty good. As I, as I look ahead, uh, you know, through 2018, one of the things that I'm doing is converting my advice into a more specific system. For running an agency, so that's that's early on, but uh, looking forward to putting that all together. That sounds exciting. And for all of our listeners, remember if you tweet out uh, your favorite quote or knowledge nugget, doesn't have to be verbatim uh, from Carl throughout this episode, and just uh, with a link to listen wherever you are listening to it. And make sure you can either uh, tag me on Twitter at Benini84 or Databox at Databox HQ. Uh, or Carl, Carl, what's your Twitter handle? Uh, it's it's very easy. It's at Carl Sakis, though the spelling it's K A R L S is in Sam A K A S at Carl Sakis. Great. So tag uh, any of those three Twitter handles just so we can see you, 
Uh, and Carl's going to go ahead, you know, we're going to choose two random winners and Carl's going to go ahead and send a signed copy of his book to anywhere in the world. So that's a, that's a great, uh, giveaway and really generous. Thank you for that, Carl. Thank you for coming on. This was a lot of fun. Absolutely. I, I, I enjoyed it. And, um, you know, if, if I have all kinds of free resources at sakusandcompany.com, uh, would love to, love to help out. Thanks so much for listening. If you found this episode valuable, check out our other episodes or subscribe to get new ones. If you want to support the show, we'd love for you to leave a review or share it with someone. And if you want a tool to help you track and improve your business performance, try Databox free at databox.com.